So good morning again. If you would like, you could uh, send a message and say hello in the chat, maybe where you're um, zooming in from, what the weather's like there, how you're feeling, word or two, or just smile, just be there. Good morning from West Seattle, Julie says, and Peter, good morning, everyone. Thank you for leading the meditation. You're welcome, Peter. And see if anybody else wants to share anything. Lillian and Lillian, where is she? Linda, Lindell, good morning. Says good morning, and Linda, good morning to the Sangha. Nice to see everyone. And Sue O. Oh, Sue's from West Seattle too. Sun is trying to pop out. Yeah, I, I'm in West Seattle also. And Mark is from Queen Anne. So we're pretty local here this morning, most of us, or at least the people who are in the chat. So nice to see everyone. And um, I am going to speak today on uh, the Sangha. Refuge in the Sangha, as I said before. Um, there, I'll just say that there were so many qualities, I thought, that helped us uh, be able to take refuge and want to take refuge in the Sangha that I did have a hard time narrowing it down. And I actually had to throw out some things quickly so... Uh, <laughs> My talk is might be a little bumpy in places where I let I got rid of things so I would have um, be able to finish the the talk, but I decided to focus on the four noble truths as being qualities, offering qualities that help us uh, be drawn to the sangha as a refuge and also help us offer refuge. To others in the form of Sangha. So what helps us create and maintain a Sangha community? How do we make sure that the Sangha is a safe place and an inspiring place that nurtures our growth and helps our spiritual practice thrive? Well, we have a lot of things going for us. We're all trying to understand and apply the Four Noble Truths and this means that we acknowledge that there's suffering and that there are conditions like clinging that lead to suffering. And lucky for us, there is a possibility of cessation of that suffering. And then we have the Eightfold Path of practice outlined by the Buddha that leads us to that cessation of suffering. So following this path, little by little, as best we can, we become wiser and more compassionate. We become human beings not only seeking refuge, but we are learning how to offer refuge to other beings because of our growing wisdom and our growing compassion. We don't take the three refuges separately, even though we have been focusing on them separately in our talks during these three months. These refuges are called the triple gem, and I think they are one gem with three facets intertwining 
and reinforcing each other. Taking the refuge together, refuges together, points us in a direction that leads to awakening. And instead of turning to things that are the world tells us will fulfill us and be our refuge from stress, like sensual pleasure, status, and ownership of things, consumption. Instead, we turn toward that kind of happiness. Um, instead of turning towards that kind of happiness for refuge, we're learning to turn toward a deeper peace and contentment. And that kind of binds us together because not everybody in the world is doing that. And so I know for myself, when I feel that I'm in the community of people that also are looking for something deeper, that is very, um, is a lot of, gives me a lot of solace. So the refuges in Pali, Buddham Saranangachami, to the Buddha I go for refuge. Dhamang Saranangachami, to the Dhamma I go to refuge. Sangam Saranangachami, to the Sangha I go for refuge. All those three things make the Sangha together powerful. Because we have the Buddha for a model for what is possible for us as human beings, and because we have the Buddha's teachings, the Dhamma, to guide us, we can be a community of practitioners that is a refuge, a true refuge, welcoming and supporting each other. The Buddha said, keep the company of the wise. He said it was really important who were our companions. He said, keep the company of the wise, find friends who love the truth, not those who have all the answers, but those who are walking the path with you. And I think that is that feeling of those who are walking the path with me is a very comforting feeling to have. We really need to walk the path with others because we're going against the stream of the conditioning that is out there in the world and all the ingrained habits that have developed in us because of that conditioning. So we need support to look at and be with the uncomfortable and inconvenient truths that we have to face as part of our path. Yesterday I went to a Clear Mountain uh, set and they asked people to share their stories of how they came to the path. And I know when we were doing the um, uh, the um, 10 uh, Oxfording pictures, we talked about that. Um, it was really interesting to see the, there were about six people who shared, you know, they just got up, just people in the Sangha. And um, there were all different stories. I mean, they all had very different ways of coming to the path of the Dhamma. But there was something that was really um, heartwarming and inspiring just to hear all these, well, these six different paths and the trust that these people had, that they could share things that were, um, you know, um, not perfect, you know. They had a lot of, some of people came from a lot of suffering. Two people came from Buddhist countries and shared that they didn't really um, 
understand the Dhamma and feel connected to it because they were primarily memorizing. It was more memorization of things and rituals, but not really connecting with it. And that um, when they got to to um, the United States, that's when they really felt that they started to understand it. Um, so I just, that was something that just uh, connect, I connected with yesterday with people sharing their, um, their own stories and how important that is and uh, how connected I felt to these people who I don't really know. So before I talk about some specific practices that support Sangha, I want to refer back to Susa's talk from two weeks ago where she talked about the challenges of Sangha. And as we look at the noble practices, which are part of the Four Noble Truths, and before we think about how we embody them, we can reconnect with our own true and innermost nobility. This process is about removing the layers of ignorance and reconnecting with our noble essence. Just like the true self in the at the end of the ox herding pictures, for those of you who were with us um, last year for that study, the message seems to be that the path of awakening has a sense of returning home, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. As Sue said, we have to have mercy for ourselves and for each other in this Sangha. We're not perfect. We bring our own challenges and we do as best we can. When we make mistakes, we need to forgive ourselves and forgive others when they make mistakes. We need to have the courage to speak up when things don't feel right, and we need the humility to listen and reflect and be willing to try by changing our behavior when we realize that we might have caused harm. Um, there are um, some forgiveness phrases that um, I found helpful, and one of them is, I forgive myself. I am a learner still learning life's lessons. I forgive you. You are a learner still learning life's lessons. So I think that quality of um, understanding the challenges that we bring, but being able to forgive them and that we're, we are, um, we have high aspirations but we're still a work in progress. Uh, that's a good quality for a saga. So now let's look at the Four Noble Truths more closely and how practicing with these truths, and specifically the Fourth Noble Truth, the Eightfold Path, uh, makes our community a refuge. The Eightfold Path is presented in a sequence of three groupings. The wisdom group with two elements, wise view and wise intention. The ethical conduct group consisting of wise speech and action and wise livelihood. And the concentration group composed of wise effort and wise mindfulness and wise concentration. And I'm going to focus on wise view and wise intention from the wisdom group, wise speech from the ethical conduct group and wise mindfulness from the concentration group. 
I think the cultivation of these four factors are so important for a healthy Sangha. Every year in January as a Sangha, we hold one of our few ceremonies when we take the refuges and precepts. And the precepts come out of the Eightfold Path. I'm going to focus on the Eightfold Path rather than the precepts, but I'm going to refer to the precepts that are linked with the Eightfold Path as I discuss each of those elements. So first we'll look at wise view which is sometimes called wise understanding. Uh, Philip Moffat calls it deep understanding because it, it enables us to live in harmony with life just as it is. And this isn't easy to do. We're helped be, by being in the company of others who want to understand deeply too and who know that this takes a lot of care, mindful attention and reflection. Pema Chodron says, not causing harm requires staying awake. And part of being awake is slowing down to notice what we say and do. And the more we witness our emotional chain reactions and understand how they work, the easier it is to refrain. It becomes a way of life to stay awake, slow down, and notice. The Buddha has a famous sutta where he instructs his son Rahula on the importance of reflection. It's called the Instructions to Rahula at the Mango Stone. And I'll just summarize it. Rahula at the time was seven, and he was um, told that he had a, told a dip, deliberate lie. So the Buddha, after giving Rahula many examples of why he should not tell a deliberate deliberate lie, even in jest, asked him the question, what is a mirror for? And Rahula replies, for reflection. The Buddha then says that um, in bodily actions, verbal actions, and mental actions, repeated reflection is required, that you should uh, reflect to see if your action caused harm to yourself or to others and painful consequences. And if that was so, then you should reveal it, you should confess it, reveal it to a teacher or a knowledgeable companion in the holy life. And that might be called a Kalyanamita, a spiritual friend or a Dhamma friend, which our Sangha is a good place to find those friends. Then you should exercise restraint in the future. So that seems, you know, very logical, but it's just that it's really required. Reflection is really required. We just need to do things mindfully. And he said at the same time, if what you did did not cause affliction, was skillful and pleasant with positive consequences, you should be refreshed and joyful, training day and night in skillful qualities. So one of the problems in the West is that we tend to have a negative bias and we mostly look at what we've done wrong. But I think this is important that the Buddha didn't ask us just to do what it look at what was wrong. We also need to look at the positive 
And that makes us a healthy Sangha too, to, to um, notice what is positive about us. And this isn't always so easy, but it's healthy. And um, an example I read regarding Joseph Goldstein is that he was reporting to his teacher regularly and all he did was report the negative qualities and his teacher gave him the homework too that he must report his positive qualities because he was just ignoring the other so i think that this is a um, an aspect of the sangha that sometimes is overlooked but we do need to to pay attention to that too and what um uh Joseph Goldstein said was he realized, you know, that here he was um, doing this very long retreat, you know, studying the Four Noble Truths and how to not harm. And of course, he was, there were many things he was doing that were healthy and wholesome. And so um, I bring that up because I think that is uh, um, one reason actually that people are drawn to sangha is that there are a lot of wholesome actions going on in a lot of us practicing with positive intention so anyway the buddha ended by saying that you one should well rahula and everybody should reflect on what they do before they do it while they're doing it and afterwards and that this constant reflection will help us uh, truly lessen our, our harmfulness. Pema Chodron said, not causing harm requires staying awake. And when we undertake to keep in view the whole of the Four Noble Truths, we don't turn away from suffering when we make mistakes, and we don't turn away from the causes of suffering. We seek to understand what leads to the end of suffering. This is the path of kindness and non-harm. So based on wise understanding of the truth of the Four, no the Four Noble Truths, a wise intention arises in us to not cause harm. And this intention includes renunciation of harmful behaviors. And so out of that comes the five precepts which are just to sum up to refrain from killing from taking that which is not offered to refrain from sexual misconduct from unwise speech which includes lying harsh speech idle speech slander and to refrain from taking intoxicants that cloud the mind there are a variety of phrases of ways to phrase the five precepts and they all express the idea that the precepts are a training of intention and renunciation. They're not statements of perfection. I like the phrasing that begins, I vow to do my best to refrain from. These precepts are there because they touch on places where we are likely to have some harmful habits. We can undertake them with humility and with kindness to ourselves, knowing that our goal is progress, not perfection. These precepts do make a Sangha a safer place. And since communication is a key relationship, key to relationships, wise speech is a precept that seems 
pretty important value to look at closely. How we speak to each other is key to relationships, but it's not an isolated factor. Um, I was thinking of looking at the opportunities we have on Zoom to speak. First, there's the question of welcoming. How do we welcome new people to the Sangha so they feel welcome and comfortable while they're getting to know us? Right away, we have to consider diversity because some people are more cautious than when coming into a group and some people like to jump right in. People come from different cultures or of different ages and experiences. And we might be disrespectful of these differences just out of our ignorance. The truth is we don't know for sure in every instance, but we can start with an intention of friendliness and non-harm. And then we can follow the Buddha's advice to Rahula to reflect on what we've said and its consequences. And we can ask ourselves, how did that go? We can consult a teacher or a Kalyanamita or other Dhamma friends. In the small group sharing that we do during the breakouts, we have opportunities to speak and listen to each other. Last week, Arv asked us to pause for a minute before we started our discussion in the breakout groups. And I think pausing is helpful in a lot of communication situations. It gives us time to ground ourselves in the moment and notice any thoughts, opinions, assumptions that might be distorting. The way we're seeing things, it gives us a moment to step out of our reactions and identifications with our stories or other stories. And it gives us a moment to let go of whatever we might be clinging to, like our ego becoming. And so it prepares us to be open and authentic and receptive to others. In insight dialogue practice that I trained in, pausing is the first of six steps. The other steps are relax, open, trust emergence, listen deeply, speak the truth. Insight dialogue is a kind of interpersonal meditation on a Dharma topic where meditation offers mutual support for seeing things as they actually are. And I think our breakout groups are doing the same thing in a less structured way. One version of the precept of refrain from unwise speech is worded in a way that I think is especially helpful because it goes into more detail and includes what can cultivate, uh, what we can cultivate um, in addition to what we can refrain from. And, refrain from. And, and so this one says, I vow to do my best to cultivate loving speech, and deep listening. I vow to speak the truth and to refrain from lying or withholding the truth. I vow to refrain from using divisive speech, abusive speech, and idle chatter. May I speak at the right time, not the wrong time. May I speak gently, not harshly. May I speak without blame. May I speak for the benefit of the listener, not the benefit of my ego. And may I speak from a heart of goodwill. So I find it's sometimes a challenge in the breakout group to know if I have the right intention. 
Am I wanting to sound good? Um, am I, um, am I really telling the truth? You know, it, it's, uh, um, yeah. Should I speak now? Should I wait? So I think the um, breakout groups are really a place of both growth and um, support. We don't need to pause only at the beginning of a discussion. We can pause whenever we notice any unwholesome tendency arising. May I speak at the right time is, I think, especially helpful considering um, that we want to be sure we allow enough time for everyone to speak in a breakout group, um, that it's okay to pass and just listen. In fact, in breakout groups, we encourage deep listening without crosstalk. And I think this makes a big difference. Uh, receiving what someone is sharing without comment is an act of generosity. And I don't think this kind of support should be underestimated. I'm also thinking of Tim's, our um, guiding teacher Tim's frequent suggestion that we learn a lot from stepping out of our comfort zone. So doing the opposite of what our default behavior is can be a gift to ourselves as well as to the group. Um, that would mean that if I tend to talk easily and have a lot of confidence in what I have to offer, I might try pausing more and saying less. On the other hand, if I'm more comfortable not sharing and I'm not so confident about the worthiness of what I have to share, I might pause less and say more. Two of the steps that I benefited a lot from in my Insight Dialogue training were step four, which is trust emergence, and step six, speak the truth. Because insight dialogue practice and our practice as well is grounded in meditation and mindfulness, the truth tends to show up if we trust emergence. The hindrance of doubt has been a challenge for me, and I fear taking risks and being vulnerable sometimes. I have to keep reminding myself that this is selfing as much as being overconfident and liking to be center stage is selfing. In the Sangha, we all benefit from each other's sharing of our inner truths. It's part of taking refuge in the Buddha. We need to trust our Buddha potential, our ability to see for ourselves what is true from our own direct experience. We never know when that humble, maybe awkward, maybe shameful, everyday truth that we have struggled so hard to embody is exactly what someone else needs to hear in that moment. I know that I am grateful for all the people in the Sangha who have shared questions that I needed to ask and answers that I was looking for too. We're an inspiration for each other and support for each other in so many ways. Just like me, all beings want to be happy. Just like me, all beings are imperfect and vulnerable. So finally, we'll look at the role of wise mindfulness in creating and maintaining Sangha. It's through our wise mindfulness that insight arises, leading us to see and penetrate the causes of suffering and how to let go of them. 
And mindfulness helps us offer the Dhamma to each other in personal and immediate forms. When we share our insights that come out of being mindful in our own daily lives and on and off the cushion, we help make the Dhamma alive and applicable for others. Wise mindfulness also helps create a calm and clear space, an atmosphere or an environment for working with our challenges where we can look at them and see the truth in them without being defensive and have the courage to be open and speak up in order to make things better. So one person shared with me that um, when they first went to a retreat and they just saw, walked into a room and just saw all the silent people, you know, honoring silence. And it was, you know, really awesome to them. So I think we can't underestimate just coming together to be, to meditate as being something that is very important to our Sangha. And I'll just conclude with um, uh, awe, which I talked about uh, last month. I spoke about research into the emotion of awe recently and how research is showing that awe is a very wholesome emotion. Lead researcher Dasher Keltner described seven kinds of awe that emerged from the research of people from 26 countries who sent in their stories of what they felt created awe in them. And the most common story was about the goodness or moral beauty of other people around them. Keltner described meeting the Dalai Lama when he was on a panel with him. And he said that the Dalai Lama told him that compassion was the deepest structure in the human mind. And Keltner said that changed how he viewed humanity. There's deep goodness in us. And that's awe-inspiring. Sharon Salzberg has, is publishing a new book, which is coming out next month, I think. And in it, she calls this uh, goodness and this awe about the goodness interpersonal wonder. In my experience, Saga provides many opportunities for interpersonal wonder, for seeing the moral beauty in ourselves and in others as well. We may be imperfect, but we meet our imperfection with compassion, and that's how we take refuge in the Sangha. As Ubiri said, the early Buddhist nun whose poem I read at the beginning, she said, just make sure you stop every so often to listen for that voice calling back. So the Sangha answers a deep need we have for community in this path that means so much to us. So, 
now we have a chance to meet with each other in small groups and kind of wind up our reflection on the Sangha, what it, what it means to us, what it offers us, what we think we might offer it. Maybe remember the, um, what the Buddha said about looking at, at our um, behaviors that contribute to wholesomeness and goodness that we can take, take joy in them. So maybe focusing on, um, well, the challenges and joy in sagas, really. We want to be able to look at both. So I will uh, put you into breakout groups. There we are. We're all back. So here we are closing our focus on Sangha. What what things did you guys want to share about Sangha? It really could do with anything that we've focused on this month, including challenges, things that you think would be suggestions for improvement. Nana. You can unmute, your, unmute yourself. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I just want to share this very quick example. Um, and to this particular credit goes to Deb Slavinsky. I've shared this before. You've heard me say it before, but I'm going to keep saying it because it made such a huge impression on me. Last year before my first 10-day retreat, in uh, the Sangha, the Capitol Hill Sangha session one Thursday evening, she had shared these three words and I shared it with my group. Just, and you said them today, like me. Just like me. Why was it impactful? I was at Spirit Rock looking at people and judging them. Why are you bobbing like that? What's your problem? What This is too much. What's your deal? Come on. I know that's Kuan Yin, but stop it. And I remember sitting outside after a walking meditation, and those words just popped into my spirit just like me. And it froze my judging mind. Deb Slavinsky. Thank you. Julie. Hi, I wanted Hi. to bring up something that Linda mentioned at the end of our session, just the idea of belonging mm -hmm. and the fact that I don't know how true it is for everyone else in the group, but I think certainly because probably because, you know, the majority of people aren't so inclined to go on a path like this, that you know, for many of us, it's been a challenge to find a community of people in our lives where we really do feel like we belong. We really do feel like we have sort of priorities that are in alignment and just what an incredible gift it is. That's all. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> Nikhil or Lillian? 
should be able to unmute. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll share what I shared in our group. Um, I think what you had mentioned, Lauren, about right speech really resonated for me, um, and kind of what you talked about with, you know, what is my intention? Like, is am I am I actually communicating right speech here? And I think that's something where, um, you know, like you you had mentioned, it's difficult enough in Sangha, but then I think when we're in the marketplace, it's um, even more difficult for me because sometimes. I'll, I'll have the thought about, you know, am I communicating right speech? Like what is, you know, right speech here? But, and I'm not, I don't know what my intention is. It's hard to piece out all the different things that are going on in my head. You know, like, am I saying something for the benefit of myself? Am I saying something because it's what the moment actually needs? Um, what is driving my intention and, and how am I communicating that? And it feels like often what I need is just space to not say anything <laughs> and think about it and whether it's hours or days and just like let that sit and figure out what, what is kind of, I think the way you phrase it, like, what is the truth? And when you're in work, when you're just in a conversation with anyone, you don't have that space very often. Um, and you might not be able to take that space. And so then figuring out how am I contributing to this? What am I saying? You know, where's the right speech has become so much more difficult, I think. Um, and yeah, it's just been something I've been struggling with a lot recently. So I, yeah, I appreciate it when you kind of just talked about that. Yeah, I think I imagine most people can identify with what you're saying. It is it is wonderful to be able to take the pause and to reflect. And even you reflect afterwards, too, and you think, well, next time, <laughs> next time I'm going to do it this way. But but we're speech is such a, um, uh, you know, kind of required of us. It's hard to sometimes say uh, I can't answer that right now, or I'm just going to have to take a minute. But sometimes we really need that, but we don't get it. And we just have to think about how could I do it next time and be prepared. But it, it's a whole, I think right speech is a whole, uh, a lot to work with. <laughs> we have many opportunities. Thank you for for mentioning all those different ways that it comes up and is challenging. Is there any, oh, Lyndall, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanna briefly say, I really appreciate you mentioning the importance of noticing the wholesome and positive qualities in ourselves and in others too, because I know that I don't always notice that. I'm always, you know, kind of noticing what maybe I did wrong or what isn't quite right. And so to really notice and appreciate those things. And also, you know, I was thinking really appreciate these beautiful qualities that others are showing without getting into a comparison of, oh, they're being so good, I'm not so good, <laughs> which isn't, you know, that isn't really helpful at all. But thank you for bringing that up. It's a really important point yeah. for us to appreciate the beautiful qualities that we see in our song and that we have in ourselves too. Thank you. Right. Appreciative joy. Wouldn't that be appreciative joy from the Brahma Baharas? Yeah. Yeah. I think... I think um, 
kind of warm and fuzzy sometimes I feel when I'm in the Sangha and I think, oh, wow, isn't that great? You know, you don't say it to the person, but you just kind of, your heart just kind of goes, wow, that's so cool that that person was able to say that or do that or, um, yeah, share that or smile in that way, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, um, we're coming to our close, and I'm so glad even though we're moving away from the topic of refuge in the Sangha, we will still be able to take refuge in the Sangha as we continue on in our new focus, which next month will be the three uh, characteristics. That's what we're starting. And in closing, let's just take a moment to be still and feel gratitude for gathering here together today and for the goodness that was generated. May it extend out uh, to, to many beings. And may all beings feel a belonging and a path in wholesomeness and non-harm, appreciate their own good, and have gratitude for the goodness of others. Bye, everybody.